Hey Alexa, what's the definition of hustle? To be aggressive, especially in business or other financial dealings. You're listening to the H for Hustle podcast, designed to inspire future entrepreneurs to take the leap from working for someone else to pursue their passions and side hustles and turning them into full-fledged businesses. My name is Jerome Fenton. I'm a serial entrepreneur. Every week, I'll be speaking with an entrepreneur that has taken that leap. We'll be talking about the lessons they've learned and how they've turned their passions and side hustles into full-fledged businesses. H for Hustle Podcast, welcome back. Another illustrious episode up ahead. And before I move further, guys, I have an ask. Please, if you're on Apple Music, wherever you listen to this podcast, if you can follow us, you can hit the follow button or you can go over to Apple Music and leave a comment, leave a five-star review, leave some sort of review of the podcast. If you got one ounce of knowledge from this podcast, please go leave a comment about it. If you've gotten nothing from this podcast, go leave a comment about it. Guys, the more comments you get, the bigger the podcast gets, the bigger the guest gets, and the bigger the visuals can get. So please go over there, leave a review, and follow wherever you listen to us on podcasts. Now, on today's episode, we're going to be doing a flashback episode to one of my favorites and also one of uh, one of the guests that I really love. I really love his company. I really love his it, what he stands for. I really love what his company stands for. Um, today is a flashback episode. We're currently working on a ton of new episodes. So please stick around for that because we have a ton of new stuff working. Me and Backpack Sound, who's the editor, is coming out with so much content. So stay tuned for that. But today is Bob Dalton from Sackcloth and Ashes. Sackcloth and Ashes is a one-to-one company, meaning when you buy a blanket from their company, they give a blanket to a charity in your local area. So they make it a little bit different than a Tom's Shoes or anything else or Bonobos. For every one uh, blanket you buy, they send a blanket to a charity in your local area. So it makes it really cool and you're helping while getting a really awesome product. Um, So this is one of my flashback episodes, Bob Dalton from Sackcloth and Ashes. That's it, guys. Let's get into it right now. Boom. Hey, Toronto Podcast. Welcome back. We have another uh, illustrious guest today. So today we have Bob Dalton from Sackcloth and Ashes. Bob, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, man. So, Bob, if I was to ask you uh, to meet you at a dinner somewhere, what would you say you do for a living? Um, I would say I own a blanket company. <laughs> <laughs> that's, pretty, and, uh, that's pretty big. And, I usually, and people always go, like 99% of the time, people go, blankets? <laughs> and I go, yeah, blankets. And they're like, what kind of blankets? And, uh, and so then I describe it to them. But I own a blanket company. I'm uh you know, it's, it's true. And it's also something that really just makes people, uh, take, it takes people back. Yeah. It's like blankets. What, what, what's so special about blankets? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So, um, could you explain to the audience what Sackcloth and Ashes, uh, as an organization does? Yeah. So our company, uh, donates a blanket to a homeless shelter for each blanket purchased and specifically, um, a local homeless shelter. So if you buy a blanket, and you live in uh, Austin, Texas, uh, we'll send a second blanket to a homeless shelter in Austin, Texas. If you wow. live in New York and you buy a blanket, we'll send a blanket to a shelter in New York. So I really wanted to localize this one-for-one 
business model that I was familiar with, you know, Tom's pioneered Warby Parker jumped on yeah. board. Um, and I've, I saw these companies, they're sending products overseas and people in need, but with homelessness, such a prevalent issue here in the United States and right here in our own backyard, I thought it'd be interesting to address the issue by sending the donation product, uh, down the street from the, the person that bought a blanket lives. Yeah. Um, just really localize it. I thought that was the evolution of what the one for one model could and should become. Yeah. I, I really believe in that because sometimes you, you're like, oh, I'm sending shoes, uh, uh, you know, in different countries, but you, sometimes you're like, people here need the exact same things that we're sending across to other countries. Um, so I actually like that. And, you know, I told you, but I didn't tell the audience how I actually found out about your product. I literally was shopping in world's market with my wife. She picked up some blankets. And if I didn't read that, like booth, that little kiosk of what the actual product was, we probably would have bought some other blankets there. But once I saw that, like, kiosk and the story behind it i was like well these are our blankets now these are what we're going to have on the couch um and you know because i felt like man if i could do something to help somebody else that's like super awesome so um thank you so much for making a great product and actually the blankets that we have are awesome too our kids love them yeah thanks man yeah over the years you know we've been able to find who we've wanted to work with, what manufacturers we want to work with and the type of quality we wanted to create. But it wasn't always like that. I, I launched the brand, um, back in 2014 and it was with a sewing machine and a roll of fabric from Joanne's fabric. Wow. And, uh, we had to fight to get to a point where we were making the blankets that you bought, you know, uh, in world market. Yeah, they're really great. And our kids like spill crap on them and you go wash them and they're, they're like awesome. Um, so let's go back. Let's go back uh, to how this started. You've been around for what, seven years now as a company? Yeah, just, just hit seven, uh, yeah. on June 1st. Okay. So let's go back. How did this all start? Like what made you say, I want to get, I want to be a blanket CEO? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I just, you know, I was, I was doing nonprofit work in about, 2012, 2013 mm-hmm. and just got tired of fundraising and really wanted to do something in the, in the business world. Um, so I just started applying for jobs and right in that same time period, my mom was going through a pretty hard time in her life. She'd lost a couple family members. She lost her mother and her brother and it sent her on a downhill spiral. And, um, she picked up, you know, drinking and, and just really needed to start her life over. Mm. And she packed a suitcase with two pairs of interview clothes and moved from Oregon to Florida. Oregon's where we're from. And she flies over to Florida and ends, thinks her aunt's going to take her in. Aunt doesn't take her in. So she ends up sleeping on beaches and benches. Wow. And so I'm like, I'm at a place in my life where I feel um, pretty lost. I'm a 24 year old young man at that time applying for jobs. Nobody's getting back to me. My mom now is, you know, sleeping on beaches and benches. How do you mentally deal with that? I mean, it was dark, man. Like there's things that I didn't, during that season, I didn't even tell my wife, you know, the phone calls and things I was having with my mom. And, um, it just got really dark. I bottled up a lot and was really angry and Mm -hmm. frustrated. I was angry because I couldn't help on the level that I wanted to help. I was angry because she didn't want to receive help. I was angry that I was just in a place in my life where I was still searching for what my purpose and what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really frustrating season. I felt like the walls were caving in on me. And, um, you know, uh, 
through all of that anger and emotion and everything, I just, I decided to start calling homeless shelters and just being like, Hey, what do you guys need? Um, was that because of your fundraising background and being in nonprofits before? Uh, part of it was just, I was always really judgmental toward homelessness Okay. prior, prior to my mom ending up on the streets. And so when she ended up in that situation, I was like, felt really convicted by that and felt really bad that I'd spent most of my life judging people on the street and hasn't, haven't done anything about that. And, wow. um, and so for her to end up in that situation, it blew up my stereotype and bias toward homelessness. Cause yeah. my attitude was like, you should have worked a little harder. You should have yeah. made better choices with your life. Yeah. Um, and she's the hardest working woman I know. So I started calling shelters and asking what they needed. They all said blankets. And that's when I was like, all right, shelters need blankets. I'm familiar with this whole one for one thing. I'm going to start a blanket company. And it sounds absolutely insane. Um, <laughs> looking back, like the me back then shocks the me now, uh, even like I, I don't know what in my mind actually clicked to make me think I'm just going to start a blanket company. It blows my mind right now. Like I, I don't, yeah. I, don't I mean, it. you hear, Hey, we need blankets. And immediately in your mind, you said, okay, I'm going to solve this problem of blankets just immediately. <laughs> yeah. What are my options? You know, and my options were I could start a nonprofit, which is the world I was coming out of that I really didn't enjoy and raise money and then buy blankets and then donate blankets. That was an option. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other option was starting a for-profit business and for every blanket I sell, I'll donate a blanket. And I felt like that was a more sustainable model. Like I could raise money and I could donate blankets on my own, but what's even more sustainable and what could be way bigger and provide way more blankets to shelters is if I started a business with that model and it worked. Got it. Um, and so, so that's what I did. So let's start now. You hear they need blankets. You say, all right, I'm going to do this one for one thing. You go to Joanne Fabrics and do you know how to sew? Do you know how to make a blanket? Like what's your idea behind this? How do you start? No, I mean, I had probably little under $2,000 in my account and I went, bought like the nicest sewing machine in the, in Joanne fabric and <laughs> a giant roll of fabric, black fleece. Like there was nothing nothing special about it. And I just started taking sewing lessons. Um, like that was my mindset. I'm like, all right, I'm going to start a blanket company and I need to make blankets. So where do I get fabric? And I'm going to have to become a sewer. Wow. Um, and so I, yeah, I started trying to learn how to sew, realized I'm horrible at it. Found a lady in my community named Tammy who was doing, uh, alterations and she started making blankets for me and I just put them in my trunk and start walking into shops and start selling them. So, so Tammy makes you these blankets. How many do you have? Do you have like 150? How much do you have to like start off with? Tammy made like 20 at a time. Got it. Maybe okay. 30, 20 to 50. And then I put them in my trunk, box them up. You know, I have no prior business experience. I have no schooling no education, no college education. And I'm just don't even know what wholesale is. I just know shops sell blankets. So I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to walk in there. Yeah. I'm going to walk in there. And I'm going to sell some blankets. So I walk into the shops and I'm like, Hey, uh, do you want to buy these blankets? And if you buy blankets for me, it's like, I'm selling Girl Scout cookies. You know what I mean? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, if you buy these blankets for me, 
then we'll donate some blankets to your local homeless shelter. And some of them felt bad for me and actually bought. Um, and so I got into 20 shops out of about 200. Wow. Wow. That's pretty, that's, that's pretty good law of averages right there. That's not bad. Yeah. yeah one out of every 10 things works out in entrepreneurship. Yeah. yeah. So once you sell those, then you take that money, go back to Tammy and say, now I need you to make me some other blankets to donate. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take that money I just made. I'd, and I'd be like, I need more blankets. All right. <laughs> so I can hear my audience asking right now, how does this guy feed himself if he's just buying blankets, selling blankets, and then donating blankets? Because it doesn't seem like you're making any money in between this. Yeah. In the first like four months, I worked part time at a, a job. Okay. Um, so I was working part time and slinging blankets at the same time. <laughs> Got it. All right. So the idea is good and the story is good. Do you just walk into these stories and just tell them your story? Hey, my mom got into homelessness. I just, I'm really trying to find a way to make this work and help other people out. Yeah. I don't remember how in depth I got about the story, but okay. I just made it really clear. Like I'd love to sell blankets through your shop. And if you buy them, I'm going to go and donate blankets to your local shelter. And I would do that. Like if the shop bought 20 blankets, I'd drive down to the shelter in that little community and donate 20 blankets. Got it. And then uh, were you telling the, were you telling the, the, um, the shelter, the story as well, or not at all? Yeah. Some of them that I'd okay. actually meet people and, you know, Got when it. you're on a journey like that, you're just kind of like making your rounds, telling your story, meeting people. Yeah. You know, you don't have a clue how, what's going to happen. So at one point, do you say, all right, you're, you said four months, you're still working a job part-time four months. What happens at the four months where you could kind of take this full time? I got an email from Instagram. Uh, and Instagram was like, hey, we love your story. We love what you're doing. We want to feature you on Instagram's Instagram account. Oh, so because you were and documenting this whole time, this whole thing on you, Instagram. Yeah, I was posting photos on Instagram and hiring like really you know good photographers that give me a good rate just because what i was doing but decent photography and i was trying to just get creative with it you know like i put a living room scene in the ocean oh wow you know stuff like that just to get people's attention um now that was a really cool shoot um we shot that in san diego and um but yeah i mean i was just posting beautiful photography and then just about my journey and then instagram was like Hey, we want to feature you on Instagram's Instagram. And at the time they had 42 million followers. I didn't wow. even know Instagram had an Instagram, but I looked it up. And so I emailed them back. I'm like, Hey, how long do I have to prepare for this? They're like, we're posting about you tomorrow. <laughs> wow. And it was the day, be- day before Black Friday. So, um, yeah, I mean, I launched the company June 1st, 2014 and the email came in late November of 2014. Wow. Okay. So they post you, you still have Tammy making your blankets at this point, right? Yeah. I called Tammy. I'm like, Tammy, I need you to make blankets as fast as you can. We're about to get featured 42 million people. Wow. So what (laughs) happens? What happens to the orders at that point? Uh, yeah. I mean, we couldn't keep blankets in stock. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We sold as many as we possibly could. And then, uh, you know, that was it. I mean, Tammy was working as hard and fast as she possibly could. My best friend quit his job. He just got hired onto a manager position and full benefits. And I'm like, Hey bro, I need you to quit your job and come and do this blanket business with me. So you still have no idea what you're doing whatsoever. (laughs) No, I mean, I, I just thought, you know, this thing could work if, um, 
if I found, I mean, I, I just thought this thing could work. It's getting attention enough on the, on the World Wide web, you know, mm-hmm. and through Instagram, primarily through Instagram that I was like, I think we got a shot here. Um, so I found, you know, I, f- I flew down to the fashion district in LA mm-hmm. thinking it was going to be this glamorous place. It's not. No, it's like factories and factories. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's dangerous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and I'm like there and I no, no luck, but I ended up finding this guy who brokers fabric, um, wow. which I didn't, I didn't even know that was a thing. You know, there's brokers for everything, but he brokered fabric in around the world. And one of the places was Italy. And so I got a couple wool samples, like wool blend samples from this guy. And that's how I got my, my in and connection with Italy. So now all of our fabric is made in Florence, Italy, and it's made from a hundred percent recycled materials. Wow. And then that fabric now gets shipped to our production hub in Oregon. And and that's where we, yeah, we make the blankets and do all of our fulfillment and everything. But you know, to go from Tammy, who basically quit on us because she was working so much. Um, <laughs> God bless Tammy, man. We love her. Um, but I mean, it wasn't sustainable. So we jumped from Tammy to an actual manufacturer. And that's where we started hitting the races. And I, the marketing strategy, we weren't selling into stores other than that first 20, you know? Yeah. We just, once we got featured on Instagram, I was like, dude, there's something about this whole social media thing. Like, yeah, you're just going to go direct to consumer, direct to consumer. And we started working with everybody on Instagram at that time. Um, so we were one of the first brands that was sending our product out to photographers around the world and being like, Hey, can we pay you for 10 images and then post one of those images through your feed? So we would grow like 500 followers a day and we would be selling out a product every chance we got. Wow. And then because of that, you're able to help way more local, um, way, way more shelters with the blanket needs. Yep, exactly. Got it. Um, so again, you said you didn't have any knowledge, any school, any business. Um, but it seems like you're pretty, you, you know that you weren't good. So you looped your friend in. What was that mindset behind that? Were you just like, I just don't have the strength. So let me just find people who are good at it. Oh no, he, he wasn't good at it either. He, he was just, he was just fraying blankets. <laughs> we, we, we were just fraying blankets. All of our logos, original, our original logos were all screen printed and sewn onto the blankets. And then we had a hand fray him. He, I just brought him on to hand fray everything. And then I made him stand in line at USPS to ship out all of our orders. Got it. So but, how, how'd you go about building a team to help you with this? Cause this, this seems like it becomes a very intensive thing at some point, like Instagram puts you on a map and you're getting all these orders. How do you then build team and, and come up with people to help you? Yeah. For the first four years, um, it was pretty much me, Jordan, who is my homie that I hired early on. And then a guy named Jeremy, who, uh, was another friend and, that was pretty much it for the first three to four years. Wow. So this business was ran off of three people for four pretty years. Much. Pretty wow. much. I did all the marketing. Jordan did all the shipping and Jeremy did all the cutting. Got it. Um, wow. Wow. And all of our fabric, like I said, all of our fabrics made in Italy. So we get these huge rolls of fabric showing up and then me, Jeremy and Jordan would, would, they would mostly produce them and ship them out. And I would do all of our marketing and I just got really good at marketing as far as social media and, and, that kind of promotion. 
And then we had, we had some but, but what was your knack? Where, where did you have that mindset to get really good photographers to do shoots? Where was that like mindset in the early beginning? Cause some people would just be like, I'm taking pictures with my phone and you know, hopefully it gets out there. Yeah. The very, very first time I got the, the, the glimpse of it was before I started Sackcloth. There was a bar called Archive Bar. Um, Archive. I think, I think it was just Archive. And it was in Salem, Oregon. And, uh, they, they had, they were doing construction on this badass new bar that was going in in town, right? Mm-hmm. Well, leading up to it, you know how construction is. It just keeps getting pushed out and pushed out. Yeah. Well, my homie who was starting this bar, he got really creative and started doing all these photo shoots. He started like beautiful, I mean, super high end photo shoots of them wearing like, looking like they're dressed like Peaky Blinders, like in the sixties, you know? Wow. Um, and documenting the journey of the building getting put together and all that. And I'm following this and I'm like, this little bar in Salem, Oregon has over 1000 followers on Facebook and insane engagement. Wow. And they haven't even launched yet. And I was watching that and I'm like, there is something to that. Like they built hype around their brand before it even was launched. And so right out the gate, I had, I, that vision was imparted into me, create high quality content and you will gain the attention and respect from the community. And we just did that on a global level. And you just did it very early. So you knew that, let me, if I don't even have that much money, invest in some high quality imagery. So at least, um, I'm coming out the gate strong. Yeah, just because you get featured to 42 million people doesn't mean that 42 million people want to follow you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We gained our following because we had a quality account. Um, and that's something that, you know, if you actually scroll back all the way to the very start of our Sackcloth and Ashes Instagram, which is a fun thing to do, um, the very first photo I posted on that feed is damn near a piece of art. Really? I got to go back. I, I didn't, I didn't do that in my research today. Um, so I'm definitely going to go back and look at that. Um, so now, you know, there's somebody right now, they're listening to this. They're like, man, I have a cause. I think I have a purpose. I want to help, but they don't really have the know-how the knowledge. What advice would you give that person? Um, a couple of things. One is you got to find out what you're passionate about. Um, and what you're, you know, the two questions I like to ask people are what wakes you, what, what brings you joy? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the thing? And, and that question gets asked often, like that gets asked in all these successful magazines and stuff. Like, you know, if you want to find your life's purpose, like what brings you joy? You know, it's like, that's the thing that wakes you up in the morning. Mm-hmm. But like that question always gets asked. So that's not like unique. The second question I ask doesn't get asked that often, which is what injustice do you absolutely hate? Mm. and that's the question that keeps you up at night and uh when you can do what brings you joy to bring relief to the injustice that you hate that's when you found your life's purpose because you have a lot of people you have a lot of quote-unquote successful people out there that are doing what brings them joy but there's some sort of a void still Mm -hmm. and that void is that they haven't tapped into what I would consider like their ultimate purpose, which is bringing relief to the injustice that they ultimately hate. And that injustice is typically found by something that might've happened to you when you were a kid. It might've been something that happened to a loved one 
It could be something that you've observed in society or around the world that just every time you see it, you just, you get pissed off. Yeah. Um, and when you can, when you find that and you don't do anything about it, um, I believe there's a hole, there's a hole in your, your life still. And that you, you, you're, you are here for a reason, not just to start a successful business or do what brings you joy for selfish reasons. You are here to help bring relief to injustices that you are passionate about helping. And when you can do that, that's, that's when you're in your sweet spot. So that's yeah. number one. That's such a big oh, thing because I, I've started two separate companies and I, they were fairly successful, but the, when I donate my time and I go to a soup kitchen and I help, there's a different feeling that I get than I ever got from starting two other businesses. It, it's like me just giving someone some food. It's just, it changes me in a, in a different way. So you're a hundred percent correct on that. And that's something I never even heard a question about what injustice would you want us, you know, that you hate. Yeah. Which injustice do you hate and, and what are you going to do about it? You know? Mm. Um, but I just think, you know, I don't, I don't look at it nowadays as, there's not entrepreneurship and then social entrepreneurship. It's just entrepreneurship. Yeah. What are you doing? How are you leveraging your platform, your resources, your product, your storytelling ability? What are you doing that's actually moving the needle here? Um, if you're out to just make money, like you can make money in so many different creative ways and that's just not interesting. Yeah. It's not interesting to the people following you and it's not interesting, uh, for you for long term, you know? Um, and I just think like, you know, if you're not, if you're not doing something that's actually contributing to the world, um, you're just, all, that's on you. But I believe we all have a responsibility and you're going to fill a void. I don't care how successful you get or how much money you end up making. That's not the purpose of life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so that's number one. Okay. Number two is if you're starting something out there. it's not going to probably work out the way that you originally think in your mind right now. Mm -hmm. Like it's going to change. And the analogy I like to share is my, one of my favorite artists is Ralph Steadman. And what he does is he throws paint at a canvas and he doesn't know what he's going to create when he starts. He just throws paint at a canvas and then he throws more paint and it just splats all over the canvas. And then eventually after a couple splats, he looks at it and he goes, Oh, oh. He takes a pencil and he starts drawing it out. It's a horse, you know? Yeah. Um, but he doesn't know what he's going to do. And so a huge part of entrepreneurship and just the creative journey in general is throwing paint at a canvas and trusting the process, knowing that you're going to arrive where you're supposed to arrive, but it might not look exactly what you think in your mind early on. And you, and you have to be okay with that. Got you can't, it. don't, don't quit if it's something different, you know, if it turns into something that you weren't expecting, that's part of the creative journey. That's such, that's such good advice. Thank you. That's wow. Because you don't know what is going to be. You just have to kind of keep going and whatever it will, will appear. Like, even if you think you're going in the right, the wrong direction, the right direction will always appear. Yeah. And you can still steer the process, you know, and shoot for something like, Ralph still has to throw paint at a canvas. He can't just sit around and look at a blank canvas all day. Yeah. Um, you know, there's still a process. You're still a participant in the vision, but that's, that's one of my favorite words to share with people is like, I don't feel like the owner of sackcloth and ashes. I don't feel like the CEO. 
most of the time. Mm. I feel like a participant in a much larger vision that is at hand right now. Yeah. And I get to be a participant in this, you know, don't get inflated with your ego and titles and all this other stuff that people want to set out and do That's all meaningless at the end of the day. All that matters is what are you doing to contribute? And are you participating in a bigger vision that's way bigger than yourself? And if you can answer those questions, you're going to stay in a way more healthy mentality and just have a healthier life in general. Yeah, uh, that's such a thank you so much. That's such a solid point. I mean, you're you're hitting some buttons for me right now. So um, thank you so much for that. Um, because, you know, a, a, a lot of people, we go about chasing the, the, the finances or the things that you think the trappings of life, but really the true trapping is to help other people. Yeah. I mean, and then, you know, some would consider sackcloth and ashes a successful business at this point. You know, we have national partners and we've done millions in revenue and all this stuff, but like I've replaced the word money in my vocabulary with the word resource. I, my goal in life is not to have a bunch of money. In fact, it honestly causes a lot more stress and anxiety. (laughs) um, Yeah. Anxiety in your life. Like it's not a thing that it's just like, it's not this magical thing that you think of when you don't have money and you're like, I can't wait to get money. That's not the point. Money in my vocabulary now is resource. So the goal is not how much, not my goal in life is now not to, accumulate as much money as I can, but to manage the resources that I have, no matter what level, when I had a little bit of resources, when I have a lot of resources, the goal in life is to manage what God has given you on any level that you're on. And if you do well with what you've been given, then I believe that that will multiply. And I don't, and I don't think it will multiply so that you could get rich. That's not the point. You can keep on helping but that you can continue to manage those resources to be a productive contributor in society. So, you know, you had said something in the beginning that I really want to go back to. You said when you were 24, your mom's in the situation. It's tough. You didn't really have a purpose. Do you feel like now you're walking and moving in your purpose? Yeah, that's a great question. And a hundred percent, I actually just shared right before I got on this zoom call. Um, it's my buddy's birthday and we went around the table and, he turned 32 and we had, we were just talking about, you know, traits that we appreciate about him. And, um, and we were talking about what it's like to be in our thirties now, you know, I'm 32 as well. And, um, things hurt in your thirties, your legs, yeah, your th- knees, in your thirties, uh, in your thirties, <laughs> the way we were joking about it was like in your thirties, like, uh, life is incredibly hard. Um, <laughs> but you have to just kind of like, live in a little bit of oblivion and know that it's all going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I like about the thirties and my, from my perspective, my life experience, what I like about my thirties over my twenties, my twenties, I was trying a bunch of stuff out. That's just, it's a fun, it's a fun time where you don't really know you're still figuring yourself out in a lot of ways. And, you know, but in my thirties now, it's like, I used to be afraid of commitment, you know, I used to be afraid of commitment and now I'm not, I'm not afraid of commitment. I've, I have found what I want to do and what I'm confident in that I want to dedicate the rest of my life to and plant roots in and dig deep, deep, uh, you know, foundation for the things and the work that I want to do in the world. I'm not thinking about, you know, I'm thinking more in the realm of legacy. Now life is short. 32 is probably halfway through my life. If that, yeah. 
You know what I mean? I'm, I'm like, we got limited time and I'm not naive to that. And maybe I'm, I'm thinking, you know, a little more unique than most 32 year olds, but I'm like, look, when you're early thirties, you know, you start to figure out what matters and what doesn't matter really quick. Yeah. And so it, sometimes it takes people a lot later in life, you yeah. know? And I just feel like I'm set on what I want to do. I feel, I know what I, I wanted purpose wise, what I want to do in, with my life. And what I believe personally is the most effective strategy to create real change. Yeah, that's so true because in my 20s, I felt like I was going wide. Like I was trying a whole bunch of things, doing different yeah. things. And now the older I get, I'm 37 and I want to start going deeper and like, you know, more like be rooted into something versus trying a whole bunch of things. Yeah, totally. I mean, stability is nice in this in the sense of like the stronger stability and foundation that you have in your life. Yeah. in your relationships, um, you know, the stronger you can build whatever you want to build. But the nice thing is well, pretty much in your thirties, you get that choice. Yeah, You are not stuck in whatever you feel like you might be stuck in. You are not stuck. You have freedom to choose what you want to do. And you have to fight for that sometimes, but you got to fight. And, you know, it's not like school back in the day where you had to take eight classes you didn't like so you could take that one that you did like you know it's not like that anymore you can take whatever class you want yeah and choose yeah um and so that's the freedom that i i try to keep myself in because you know when you start to feel in bondage to your life you know that gets scary and and i that's different than commitment that's trapped yeah that's that's and that's sometimes what I guess the word resources that are money will get you. You'll feel way more trapped into something than yep. you actually do feel free about it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And there's nothing that kills creativity more than feeling pressured and trapped. Yeah. You're a hundred percent right on that one. Um, so I have a few more questions because I want to be mindful of your time. Where did you get the name from? The name is so different. Like I, where was that come from? Yeah, um, it's ancient Jewish symbolism, okay. which means mourning and repentance. And mm. um, in 2014, right, like prior to starting Sackcloth, um, I was reading the Jewish Book of Wisdom mm-hmm. and was just really fascinated by it. Um, I just love that it's just filled with parables and stories and analogies and came across Sackcloth and Ashes and mourning and repentance. And I felt like that was really appropriate. Well, first of all, I just thought the name was badass. You know, I was like, I wrote, wrote it down on my phone along with a list of other 20 names that I was going to name my, all my businesses one day. Um, I I was (laughs) what you would consider an inspiring entrepreneur. Entrepreneur, Yeah. Um, but (laughs) Sackloft and Ashes was on that list. So when I started the one for one blanket company, I was like, okay, what am I going to name it? Sackloft and Ashes felt fitting because for every blanket you wrap yourself in for me, it symbolizes yeah, more it symbolizes mourning over the homeless population yeah. and repentance by contributing to a shelter in your area. Nice. That's such a meaningful name. Um, now, how was your mom? How's that? How did that work out? Because I've listened to a lot of different interviews. No one's ever asked what happened to your mom after that time. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, yeah, after four years of on and off the streets and in and out of rehabs, I got her back home to Oregon and... I was doing a blanket drop at Shepherd's Door. It's a women's program in Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And I did my normal thing, passing out blankets, shared my story. And they go, well, where's your mom now? And I go, well, I just got her back to Oregon. And they go, 
can you get her to this program? There's 38 out of 40 slots filled. We'd love to have her in this program. And uh, it's a 12 month program. She's got to be sober, but it's incredible. It could change her life. So I, I was like, well, I'll try, you know? Yeah. Um, you can only try. Yeah. You can only try. And I shared it with my mom and she ended up getting into the program, graduated 12 months later. Um, and then stayed an additional year and worked, uh, uh, as like, um, they gave her free living. And then after two years of being sober and being a great worker and contributor, they hired her on staff. So now she's on staff at Portland Rescue Mission. Wow. That's such an awesome story. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's, she's killing it. Yeah. I'm sorry that she has to go through all those ups and downs, but maybe you doing your life and living your purpose has now found her and her purpose in life. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, it's all intertwined and, um, it's mind blowing. You know, it's yeah. a miracle. I thought at one point many times that she was going to die. And, um, you know, if you ever dealt with an alcoholic in your family or, or, or yourself, you know, it's, it's a hard thing. To, it's a hard cycle. And a lot of people don't make it out of that. And, uh, she made it out by God's grace and she's now a functioning contributing member of her community. Nice. That's awesome. Um, and the next question I have is how, how does the one for one model work? Because again, I believe that what you're doing will actually solve an actual problem. I think sometimes people rely so much on like government funding or the nonprofit of raising funds and stuff like that. I feel like it, it's very slow. I've done nonprofit fundraising before and it's a very slow process and there's a lot of bureaucracy within a nonprofit entity. Like, and if you rely on the government to give it to you, it's, I always tell people government never does anything well. Just perfect examples like the DMV. Like, <laughs> you never, yeah. it never gets done well. I think what you're doing is, is, is actually something that can solve a problem of homelessness or help solve a specific problem within homelessness. How does that business model make sense so that you can keep paying employees and that you can keep providing the blankets? Like, can you break that down? Yeah, for sure. So the second blanket that we donate uh, depends on who we donate to, but if we donate to high volume, high turnover shelters that have hundreds of people coming through every night, we donate a twin size fleece blanket so that they can wash them every night and prevent nice. bed bugs. So that's the blankets that they actually request is twin size fleece. Um, if we donate to women or men's programs, we donate like a nice thick cotton blanket, uh, like wool blend cotton Got it. and, um, similar to the ones we sell on our website. So we order tens of thousands of donation blankets at a time. So we get them pretty affordable and that helps with the margin of it. Um, and then as far as the practicalities of donating the donation blanket, we, I create early on, I created a mapping system where you go to sackcloth.com slash shelters and you can type in your zip code and we'll show you all the shelters in your area. And I have a person that's full time doing all of our document do, documentation. So if you buy a blanket and you live in zip code 97301, they look up where your zip code's at, they put it in the mapping system and they document that we need to donate a blanket to a shelter in the area of 97301. Got it. And then okay. once we have about 25 blankets or more kind of compiled in that area, we ship out a box of blankets to that shelter and it comes with a letter that thanks that shelter for the work that they're doing in the community um, and describes why they're receiving a box of blankets from our company. 
Got it. Nice. Okay. Because in my mind, I'm like, are the are the are they getting this blanket that I have in my house now? Are they getting that in a shelter? And I was like, this might not yeah. be most practical for a shelter. Um. So yeah, now that so, makes a lot of yeah. sense. Pro- programs do get the ones that you have, and okay. then shelters get the the ones that can be washed and Got distributed it. quickly. They can also be disposed of easily as well. Got it. And that's only because that's what they requested. Yeah, we every single person, every single organization we've ever donated to, whether that's foster care, homeless shelters, men's and women's programs, we always ask what type of blanket do they want, and we make sure that's provided. Got it. Um, two more questions for someone right now. They they started. They had a bunch of false starts, right? They start, they fail, or things or mishap happens along the way. Um, you know, people are trying to build their business or start their, whatever their thing is that they're trying to start, but they've had failures along the way. What advice would you give to that person? Um, I think that I don't necessarily have advice as much as I'd have a question, which is, what did you learn? Mm. Um, it's not always about trying to gauge success and failure. I think success and failure are illusions that we've created in our minds to that ultimately limit us. What's most important, whether you fail or succeed is what did you learn? And I tell people all the time, if sackcloth and ashes went away tomorrow, I'm going to be fine. Because you learned so much. I have so much experience, so many things I've learned, so many incredible relationships. I'll be fine. I'm not emotionally connected. Sackcloth and ashes, as many people say, your business is your your child or your baby or whatever. Now, it's not. You don't have to be emotionally connected to the thing that you start. That's too much pressure and weight. Wow. Um, it's a business at the end of the day. If it fails, it fails. If it succeeds, it succeeds, whatever. What matters is what did you learn? And, you know, if you learned something that ultimately you could do different or you learned about yourself, you know, you become a better person, you become stronger, you're more resilient. Like that's what matters because yeah. life, you have plenty of time. And you can start anything you want and look at, look at it like a blank canvas, you know, get back up, start throwing paint again. Um, but that, what did you learn through it? You know? Yeah. I, I, one of our guests, our prior guest said she believes that entrepreneurship is like therapy. It like reveals who you are to yourself. Um, and you know, the more you go along, the more you learn about yourself in the process. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, for me personally, you know, in the early years, I had to battle making decisions out of ego. Mm. And now, seven years in, I'm battling making decisions out of fear. It's interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's a... Uh, but isn't fear and ego kind of similar? They're kind of in the same vein? Probably pretty pretty similar. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those are just... It's more of a self-awareness thing. You know, I just try to every season, you know, it doesn't matter if you're, I'm, you know, you're 30 is sackcloth, you know, it's like, there's always going to be something you're learning about yourself, learning about the business, learning about relationships. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the goal is not to be successful in life. The goal is to become the best version of yourself. Um, and, 100%. and so, yeah, I mean, 
it's not the end of the world if you have something that fails. It happens all the time. Um, don't get caught up in it. Don't let it, don't let it paralyze you from doing the next thing. Got it. And that, that right there is a gem. Um, don't get paralyzed by it. Cause a lot of people get caught up in that. Oh my God, I failed. And there's no more, you know, if you said, it said, instead of saying failure, say, well, I learned X. Now I can go into the next thing. Yeah. Got it. And my last question, I access to every guest. The name of the show is H for hustle. What does hustle mean to you? Good question. I used to say all the time, God is good and I'm a hustler and together we're a good team. <laughs> I like that. Um, <laughs> And that's how we got, that's how we got things done, me and God. <laughs> um, he's good and I'm a hustler. And yeah, I think hustle for me is, um, in a positive sense, it could be positive and negative, but I think like the question is just, what are you hustling for? You know, mm-hmm. and hustle to me is like hard work, cre- creative hard work. Mm-hmm. Like you can't be a hustler and be dumb. You gotta yeah. be smart and you can't be a hustler and not work hard. Yeah. Um, and so my, my best friend who quit his job early on. Yeah. His name's Jordan. He's still with me. He runs all of our operations here. He's our COO now. Yeah. And we're doing 14,000 blankets a month now. And wow. he's, he's overseeing all of it. And, uh, we, we said something to each other the other day. We go, Hey, can you believe we've never fought? Like we've never, like, him and I have just been like, it's been such a great partnership between him and I. And he goes, why do you think that is? And I'm thinking, and I said, it's because we have good intention. We, we both have good intentions. Like we want what's best for the business and we work our asses off yeah. and we respect that. We respect that in one another. He works his ass off and I work my ass off. And we believe like we have that mutual respect of like, we know that if at any moment of the day, him and I are working our asses off for this thing. You know, um, and I think that that, that's the positive definition of hustle. It's like good intention and hard work. Yeah. That's a very good definition. I also believe the maybe the reason why is because you're walking in your true purpose and he could see that. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I hope he is too, or he will find that through this journey. Yeah. Um, I, I think he is. And, and again, like the second person who started, you know, helping, with any company is usually following that person because that's also their, their purpose as well. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so if people want to buy these blankets that I have in my house, where should they go? Where can they find you if they want to, you know, reach out? Yeah. So our website, sackcloth.com. Um, you can follow us on Instagram. Uh, that's really our main platform. And, um, we sell our blankets starting, uh, here in August. Uh, we'll, we'll all, our blankets will be in world market. So any world market location. Mm-hmm. And then starting in October, we'll be in every REI in the nation. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll be in world market and REI by the end of the year. And then, uh, and then our website is the best source of, of sales. Got it. Um, I do want to say thank you so much for what you're doing, making an impact in the world. 
through entrepreneurship and for all and also making a really good product because I've seen this one for one model being done, but not with a very good product. And it just seems like people are trying to get over on somebody like we're helping, but it's not a great product. And the first thing I, I thought was just the quality of the product and what you're delivering. And then the story behind it was like the thing that really caught me. But the first thing that caught me was the actual product itself. So thank you so much for doing that. And thank you so much for using entrepreneurship to actually help in the world. 100% man. Thank you for having me on and, and much love and respect for anyone who's out there grinding and hustling, trying to make their idea work. Thank you. And we're going to leave it right there. Right there. Right there. Right there. Right there. Right there. Right there.